Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Death Valley, California. With a name like that, it's clear this is a place like no other. Death Valley National Park is home to a desert that's the hottest and driest place in North America. It's also home to a mystery that took scientists more than 70 years to solve, the Sailing Stones. The Sailing Stones are these large, heavy boulders that, for hundreds of years, have moved along the desert all by themselves. Picture it. You're in the middle of the desert, staring at these big, heavy rocks, some of which are the size of a mini refrigerator. And then the next day, when you come back to the same spot, all the rocks are sitting 40 feet to the right of where they were the day before. It's rare to spot the stones moving, but they leave this obvious evidence that they never stay in the same place for long. Behind the rocks are long, sometimes winding trails in the dirt, like skid marks. These skid marks gave the area where the rocks are found, the racetrack playa, its name. It's a flat, dry basin in the desert, surrounded by these tall, rocky hillsides. And it's littered with these huge, moving rocks. And some of these rocks are like 600 pounds. No man or animal is sneaking into the playa and shoving these boulders around. They're moving on their own. It took until 2014 for scientists to discover how these rocks are moving on their own. And when they finally solved it, the answer surprised even them. This is Science Solved It. And today's episode, The Sailing Stones of Death Valley. Welcome to Science Solved It, motherboard show that explores the world's greatest mysteries that were solved by science. I'm Kaylee Rogers. Death Valley is an extreme place. The valley itself sits below sea level, and it's regularly parched by severe drought. This place only gets two inches of rainfall a year. Even for a desert, that's really dry. In the summer, the temperature regularly soars above 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's in the shade. It's hot. It's dry. It's the desert. Death Valley's racetrack playa spans two square miles near the middle of the park. 
Centuries ago, this place was filled with water, but now it's just a dried up lake bed. And despite the treacherous hike to its remote location, this dry lake bed has attracted visitors for generations. It's all because of the sailing stones. So the rocks are big chunks of a rock called dolomite, and they come off of a hill on the south end of Racetrack Playa. That's Dick Norris. From Scripps Institution of Oceanography, I'm an oceanographer, so I typically study the open ocean and fossils in the ocean. If you're wondering why the hell I called an oceanographer to talk about one of the driest places on Earth, just stay with me. Dick typically studies the ocean, but his big claim to fame is that he and his cousin are the researchers who finally solved the mystery of how the sailing stones move by themselves. It just happens to be terrific fun to figure out a mystery that nobody's been able to solve before. Fair enough, Dick. He told me that these sailing stones have been capturing people's attention ever since miners working in the area first came across the rocks in the early 1900s. Though it's rare to see the rocks in action, the trails behind them make it really obvious that these stones have been on the move. Ordinarily, it's just a completely flat, dry, sun-baked, dry lake bed. But it has about 400 rocks of varying size on it. And some of them are as big as a mini fridge, and others are, you know, little pebbles and so forth. And those rocks apparently move around of their own accord. And we know that because they very commonly leave trails behind them in the mud of this dry lake bed. The trails behind the sailing stones are hard to miss. They can stretch for hundreds of feet, and they have a buildup of dirt all along the edges. It's kind of like if you push a toy car through a sandbox. You, know, you can imagine a, a truck driving along, plowing roads of snow or something like that. And it gets a pile of snow on the front bumper, but then it also shoves it to the side. It is very similar to that. But that's part of what's so mysterious about the sailing stones, aside from the fact that they're rocks that move by themselves. Reminder, this is Death Valley. It's really dry. And normally if you slide a rock along a dry desert surface, it doesn't plow through it like snow. How are these stones creating plowed grooves in a dry lake bed? Well, that's really striking, you know. So the rocks clearly are making the trails as they move. So they're plowing along, apparently, through a muddy surface. Now, most of the time, the playa is completely dry, and there's no way that you could make a trail, you know, if you were to try to scoot a rock along the surface of it. So this must happen when the playa has gotten wet and has turned into mud. Now we're getting somewhere. If they're making trails when the normally dry lake bed is muddy, the magic in the movement of these rocks must have something to do with water. Dick was far from the first scientist to put this together. He wasn't even the first person to study the sailing stones. The first scientific study was 1948, and then there was a succession of scientific papers. Every 10 years or so, somebody published a new paper on the racetrack. And it was pretty clear, you know, that most people were doing this for fun. It was like, ah, you know, mysterious thing, how these rocks move, but nobody's basing their scientific career on this kind of work. But it's just, you know, really fun little sort of mystery. But since nobody was taking this research too seriously, all we had for decades were scientific theories, hypotheses. No one was able to prove how the rocks were moving, and that opened up the door to theories of another kind. Theories that ranged from plausible to truly bizarre. Aliens, magnetism, 
energy vortex, which isn't even a thing. After the break, I'll take you through theories about invisible aliens and rocks responding to music before I reveal how scientists discovered the true magic of the Sailing Stones. Hey guys, if you are enjoying Science Solved It, you should definitely check out some of our other shows, such as Plus Plus Podcast. It follows our reporters out into the field to report on everything from spyware. We found a website that markets itself for detectives, and it was also selling this software that could intercept phone calls or remotely turn on the microphone. To smart guns. As we collectively point fingers at the people we think are responsible for gun deaths, we forget there might be another way to approach America's gun problem, technology. Season one just wrapped up, and there's a new season already in the works, so you can go and binge listen and get all caught up right now. Welcome back. Despite the fact that we've known about Death Valley's mysterious moving rocks since the early 1900s, scientists never dedicated that much time to cracking the case. In lieu of a solid answer, people naturally start to concoct their own theories for how a bunch of massive rocks managed to slide across the desert all on their own. To find out more about some of these theories, I called up Brian Dunning. Brian is a fellow podcaster. He hosts a show called Skeptoid that also explores the mysteries of the world. Although he's been in the game a lot longer than I have. Skeptoid started way back in 2006. Just was really fortunate that I came into podcasting at a time when it was kind of possible to get in early and to build an audience. And there was so much less competition then than there is now. Brian's show aims to debunk a lot of mysteries that get muddied up with paranormal explanations but he still likes to honor the folklore itself. The point of the show should not be simply to take someone's ghost away, to tell them that their cherished belief is nonsense, but rather it should be to give them something much better to replace it with. Back in 2007, Brian did an episode on the Sailing Stones. This was long before we knew the truth about how the rocks moved, and it was a story that captured his attention for a long time. I first heard about the racetrack when I was in film school, actually. We were watching trailers of films made by other film students, and I think this one was called Devilstone, something like that. It just always, always intrigued me. It was always in the back of my mind. Brian was captivated by these stones. They seemed to be able to move on their own. He's been to Death Valley many times and seen them for himself, but when he went digging for an explanation to include in his show it quickly became apparent that scientists just didn't have one. Don't get me wrong, there were a lot of theories out there, but many of them weren't based on reality. Energy vortex was one that I'd read a number of times, and those are just two words put together that don't have any meaning in the real world. There's really nothing even to discuss there. And I read once about someone saying that it was acoustic levitation. Acoustic levitation? Acoustic levitation. What the heck is acoustic levitation? There is a real kind of acoustic levitation, and there is a pseudoscience acoustic levitation, and the two of which have nothing to do with each other. And in pseudoscience, acoustic levitation is usually used as an excuse for how ancient humans managed to move large, heavy rocks. 
One popular example is Coral Castle in Florida, which was made by this tiny skinny man, Ed Leedskelman, who spent his whole life moving these enormous blocks of coral and building this big monument type thing. It was said that he sang them into place. So he would sing, and somehow that would cause these huge blocks of stone to lift and rise through the air. So acoustic levitation is something that people had proposed for the moving stones of Death Valley as well. With this theory, people believed that either someone was going into the valley and singing, and somehow that would cause the stones to slide along, or that just the natural acoustic vibration of the valley was such that it would cause acoustic levitation. Suffice to say, there is no evidence that the sailing stones are being sung through Death Valley. Still, when Brian dug a little deeper, he found that even the more scientific explanations really didn't add up. Because the stones were able to make tracks in the dirt, scientists knew that the rocks were moving when the valley was wet. But beyond that, they couldn't quite figure out what was happening. One idea that was proposed was wind. Yeah. Wind was pushing the rocks across the surface when it was wet and slippery. Well, I don't know about you, but I've never seen wind strong enough to unstick a big heavy rock from mud and then slide it across the surface. That did not seem very plausible to me, and the physics of that just aren't even close. Despite Brian and my skepticism, this was a widely held belief that the wind in the valley was so strong, it was somehow able to slide these rocks through the mud after a bit of rainfall. Even Dick, our expert who solved the case, suspected wind was to blame. We thought, I should tell you, based upon our reading of the scientific literature, that strong winds were the major driving force. The other prevailing theory at the time was that ice had something to do with it. Ice. In the desert. See, even though Death Valley has some of the hottest temperatures on the continent, at night, and particularly in the winter, the temperature can dip to the other extreme. Temperatures regularly drop below freezing in December and January. Temperatures as low as 15 degrees Fahrenheit have been recorded in Death Valley. At those temperatures, the very small amount of water that Death Valley gets will freeze. In Death Valley, very commonly you get these still nights when cold air settles in these little lake basins, and it gets really cold. And so ice can form on the surface of a pond. But just because there's a small amount of ice in the valley, how would that explain the movement of these rocks? There were some explanations back in the day when Brian was investigating these stones, but they were just as weird and wacky as acoustic levitation. Acoustic levitation. I'm still shaking my head at that one. But back to the ice. At the time, people thought maybe ice was forming around the rocks and causing them to float. Floating rocks. They said the ice would form around the rocks first, much like it forms around the edges of a lake first, and it would cause the rocks to become buoyant, and they called it ice collars on these rocks, making the rocks buoyant, and they would float along, pushed by the wind, dragging along the surface. Well, that's even sillier. That was just purely a supposition, a guess. There were certainly no observations to go along with that. And it's also something that has never been observed in the real world, and the physics just don't even come close to making sense. 
Part of the problem was that because the rocks only moved when the valley was wet, and Death Valley is, as I said, very dry, it made it really difficult for scientists to observe this phenomenon and explain it. There was no way to predict when or if the rocks would move again, and sometimes years would go by without so much as a budge. Luckily, in recent years, technology has advanced to the point where we can get around problems like unpredictable moving rocks. So that's exactly what Dick and his cousin Jim Norris decided to do. First step, they had to get some rocks. The park wouldn't let us use their rocks. <laughs> you know, they're very protective of the public resource. I think quite reasonably, actually. Since they couldn't use the park's rocks, Dick and Jim gathered up similar rocks just outside the park and lugged them deep into the desert. On each rock, they attached a custom-designed GPS unit to track the rock's movement. They also installed a small weather station in the playa so they could track things like temperature, rainfall, and wind. Our experimental design was to set up a weather station. We sort of cobbled that together from various gifts and our own purchases. And that was to record what the weather conditions were when the rocks moved. And then to figure out when the rocks moved, we knew that it was very episodic, that this didn't happen very frequently, and that more likely than not, we wouldn't be there to see it. So we installed these little GPS units that were custom-built uh, and engineered by my cousin and his business partner. And so they custom-designed these things, custom-designed the software that ran them. And we installed those in a series of rocks that we had gotten outside of the park. Then they waited. As one of our co-conspirators on this project said, he's a guy who works for NASA, he says, oh, that's going to be the most boring experiment ever. And of course, he's quite right. You know, the rocks just sat there. Whoever puts a GPS on a rock, after all? For two years, nothing happened. The rocks refused to move so much as an inch. Dick and his cousin would journey out periodically to change the batteries on the GPS units or make sure the weather station was still functioning. But otherwise, all they could do was wait. Uh, and then... Suddenly, one day, it happened. The rocks finally moved. It was the winter of 2013. The night before, a storm blew in. It rained on the racetrack, and a very small pool of water gathered. It created a pond a couple inches deep. Then, the temperatures dropped. And it was then that our rocks moved. From the information recorded by the weather station, all the old theories began to meld into one. It wasn't the wind or the ice that made the rocks move. It was both. The key ingredients are you need a pond, and the pond can't be too deep. We're talking about a few inches deep. That's because most of the rocks are only 10 or 15 inches high, perhaps. A few of them are much bigger than that. But so the pond is relatively shallow. You need ice, so the pond has to freeze, at least partly, the night before. And then the next day, the key ingredients are you need sun. So if you have enough rain to create a small pond, cold enough temperatures to create ice... And then the next morning you have sun with just a little bit of wind. That's when the magic happens. So it's kind of this little magical thing of having just, you know, it's like Goldilocks, just the right conditions. <laughs> Here's how it works. When the water pools on the playa, 
it surrounds the rocks. When the temperature drops, the water freezes around the rocks, creating huge ice sheets that span the playa. And the next day, as the sun rises over the desert, it starts to melt that ice. At the same time, if a gentle breeze starts to blow, that ice begins to move, and it carries the rocks with it. You have basically about a couple square miles of floating thin ice. The ice is like the thickness of a window pane, and though it's very thin, it's a huge, huge sheet of ice, and it's being moved sort of inexorably by these light breezes, and it can shove around really big things and a lot of rock. So the trails were forming underneath the ice, uh, you know, in this sort of shallow pond. It shocked Dick and Jim. Here were these massive rocks being shoved through the playa mud by a sheet of ice the thickness of a window pane. They might not have believed it if they hadn't seen it for themselves. Totally by chance. We also happened to be going out to change out the batteries in the GPS units, and we arrived right when this pond was being active and the rocks were moving. So we actually got to see it happen, which was absolutely wild. (laughs) More than 70 rocks created trails that day, and they moved almost every day for the next two and a half months before the pond finally evaporated. Each night, the water would freeze, and each morning, the ice would melt and slide the rocks around, carving new trails in the mud. Though it was a perfectly scientific answer, this revelation still felt magical. Nature is powerful. It's strange. You can do things we would never even imagine if we didn't see it happening right before our eyes. That's why Brian was so satisfied when, years after he first investigated the Sailing Stones, he heard the truth about how they move. So many smart people had thought about this before, and nobody had come up with that. I hadn't come up with it. Sometimes, the truth is even more tantalizing than the most incredible theories we can create on our own. You know, science science is delightful. (laughs) I couldn't have put it any better myself, Dick. Science Solved It is a production of Vice Media and Motherboard. For regular updates on the show and to see photos of the Sailing Stones, visit motherboard.vice.com. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter, too. We're at Science Solved It. Give us a follow and let us know what you think of the show so far. This episode was produced and edited by Tim Barnes. Production assistance was provided by Sanjay John, Colin Weingartner, Ryan Katz, Cherusuna, and Shamika Lywood. Special thanks to KSDT, the campus radio station at UC San Diego. Our theme music is by my big brother, Reximus. That's all for this week, and thanks for listening. Next week on Science Solved It. Once it gets dark, you start to see these lights. They're white, but they kind of blink on and off, and they seem to be moving. When I first saw them, I thought, oh my God, this is incredible. These Lights would come on and off, and they would move to the left, and they would move to the right. And it was like, what? What are these things? Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.